Welcome to a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. Because it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. A breath of fresh air. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day. Hi and welcome to the show. I hope you've had a very productive and happy week and now you're ready to be entertained. Today I'm really excited to bring you one of my and hopefully your favourite British musicians and songwriters. The Yardbirds, The Hollies, Herman's Hermits, Wayne Fontana, Jeff Beck, Cher, The Shindigs, The Shadows and PJ Proby have all recorded material from the very talented Graham Gouldman, best known as the co-lead singer and bassist for the art rock band 10CC. Graham Goldman has been the band's only constant member since its formation in 1972. Graham, wonderful to be in your company. I really appreciate you giving us your time on a breath of fresh air because your music really has been a breath of fresh air all these years, hasn't it? Well, that's not for me to say. (laughs) That's up to you, but thank you. (laughs) I've also read uh, a lot of articles about you that said how humble you are and you've already shown me that that's 100% (laughs) true. Seriously, congratulations for for everything that you've given modern music. You've been at it since you were 11 years old when you got your first guitar, and I hope you won't mind filling us in on the details of your life because it's been quite exceptional the way you've risen to the heights that you have. Um, I feel very lucky, you know, to be able to have made a good living out of doing something that I absolutely adore. I never forget that. I'm always aware of it. I love how you credit your dad with being so instrumental in your success. He certainly nurtured your talent from the very beginning, didn't he? Well, yes. Um, my dad was really should have been a professional writer, but didn't have a um, you know didn't have any any backers and couldn't quite frankly couldn't afford to do it. You know, it was too risky a business. So he had regular work that really wasn't him. So when People asked me, what does your, what did your dad do? I say he was a writer rather than say that he was in the fashion business or any, anything else. And I was lucky enough to have someone that I was in the house with who would look at my lyrics and go, oh, I can make that better, come up with song titles or actually write parts of lyrics as well. So it was fantastic to have that relationship with him. <laughs> He was a massive help to me during the 60s. A lot of the lyrics uh, were written by us together. And some ideas for songs later on, like the phrase art for art's sake came from him. particularly scholastic at school and he and your mother both encouraged you they saw the talent and yeah. encouraged you to keep going that's pretty rare they did yeah and yes i was very lucky in that but there was a few elements the time i was born was very important <laughs> i'd say i became aware of music i guess about the age of seven i really started becoming aware of it and then i guess hearing the Beatles and becoming aware of them and the general music scene around Manchester, which was very active. These were all inspirational. The music I was listening to when I was growing up, even as a young teenager, the music that is still running through my veins that informs a lot of what I do today. It comes from that period, plus the fact that my mum and dad knew that I wasn't very good at school because actually... I wasn't interested in doing anything else but music. I sort of discovered music at seven years old. I was given my first guitar at 11. That changed my life. I mean, there were a few other things that changed that, that spurred me on as well. But being given that guitar and the music I was listening to, the fact that my parents 
recognised the fact that I had a gift and encouraged it. I was really lucky in that respect. feel that sort of uh, rebellion because my parents being artistic were quite open-minded as well to things. You say you were born at the right time. I mean, I guess that particular period in the UK when the Beatles came along would have been fabulous inspiration. Yeah, well, it was actually the Beatles were the, my main main inspiration and, and still are today. But I was growing up listening to people like Bill Haley, Eddie Cochran, Elvis, the Everly Brothers, Buddy Holly, Chuck Berry. All those people were I was listening to as a young teenager and just thinking this is the most fantastic thing. Then Lonnie Donegan and Skiffle came along and suddenly it was like, oh, these three guys playing guitars or whatever. And we started picking up instruments and forming bands. I remember one at school, I think I was about, I don't know, 13, 14. I think I discovered then the joy of actually playing with other people. And then to top it all, the cherry on the cake was listening to the Beatles in the early 60s. That really spurred me on to not only want to, I'd already wanted to be sort of a musician, but to uh, try my hand at songwriting, really. A few things happened at the same time. I was in a band and we wanted to make a record. I went down to London and went round the publishing houses and no one seemed to be interested or bothered to give us anything. At the same time, I thought, well, I, I, I can at least write some songs. Well, try your hand, you did, very successfully. I mean, you were quite young when you wrote for the Yardbirds and they had th those couple of hits from you. How did yeah. they come about? I was 19 uh, when I wrote that song. I'll give you everything and more, and that's for sure. The recording session was two songs, that one and one other, and the record company decided to go with the other thing. I was very pleased, uh, I can tell you, that the Yardbirds recorded it because I was a massive Yardbirds fan anyway. I'd seen them. They were one of the bands that played in Manchester quite a lot. My manager at the time said, you should try and get this song to the Beatles. I said, you know, the Beatles, I think, are doing okay in the songwriting department. <laughs> but he mentioned this to a, a, a publisher, and the publisher said, that ain't going to happen. However, the Yardbirds are doing a, um, a Christmas season with, with the Beatles, and they've decided that they want to, because they were kind of just like a rhythm and blues band at that point, that they wanted to try and get have a hit, and they were looking for outside material. So even though it was a kind of stupid idea, it turned into something really positive for me. The song was got to the Yardbirds and became, you know, a big hit. How did it feel for you? How did it feel? Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. I was absolutely delighted and loved their version of it. Although it was, it was a little bit different from the demo that I, I sent them because they added the harpsichord. Was a big, that was a real big change from my original demo. Right. So as a young man, you're writing all of these love songs. Each one of the songs that you were writing at the time was about yearning for love. Was that where you were at? Uh, some things, as with all writers, some things are complete fabrications and some things are based on the truth. So there was a mixture of it, really. Although I found now I'm more prone to writing about real... I'm not going to write about seeing somebody across the street as a, the age that I am and thinking, oh, I'd love to get to know her or things like that. So I'm writing more about 
songs about real life events or inspired by real life events as a, as a basis for something, and certainly not so much love songs in like in the in the true sense of the word. So, I mean, if they are, they're, they're about my wife or inspired by my wife, right, who's my that. muse, actually. I finally got a muse at this late stage. <laughs> I want everyone. a muse. There's my muse. Oh, everyone should have a muse for sure. Yeah, everyone should have a muse. <laughs> Like walking in the rain and the snow when there's nowhere to go when you're feeling like a part of you is dying and you're looking for the answer in her eyes you think you're gonna break up then she says she wants to make up so the songs that you did write at that age actually do show quite a lot about you. How did you learn to write songs? There wasn't the internet to look up, you know, rules around songwriting. I guess you it, knew it, that they had to be a, about love because that was all the fashion. That's what people wanted to you hear. Don't, you, you don't learn to write songs. Like, you don't learn to write poetry, do you? No. you can't, there's no... You can tell people... You, you know how to rhyme, you know, a line, but because one word should end the same way as another word but not be started in the same way but you can't writing is a gift it's as simple as that i i don't think you can teach somebody you can you can guide them as as to how a, an arrangement of a song can be but the actual process of putting the notes together with the and marrying them with the right words that's not enough. What it needs is that it makes you feel like I felt when I'm writing it and good enough for you to want to go, oh, I want to buy the record of that, that song because it makes me feel whatever. I always say, and I'm not being modest here, it's not clever, it's a gift. You've either got it or you ain't. You can't buy it either. Really? You can't but develop it? That's so how I feel about is, it. Yeah, I, there's no hope for me then, huh? <laughs> I'll no have to make my whatsoever. living elsewhere. <laughs> but, but you have your skill as maybe, you know, when you're putting this interview together, how you do that and how that yeah, forms and it keeps the reader interested. Did you learn that or is it inherent? No, I think that's inherent too. I think that's exactly yeah, right. Then it's the something that then. you can't pass on to, to somebody yeah. else. So when did you first realise that you had this talent? I mean, there, there must have been many times that you sat down to write songs or actually wrote them. And they didn't make the top 10 or the top 30 or the top 100. Well, I knew it when I had a hit, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> that was all the proof I needed. I said earlier that most of your songs were about love at that time, but that's actually not true because in 1966 you wrote "Bus Stop" for the Hollies, and yeah, uh, well, that was that, but that was it, it was still a love song uh, inspired by before I became a sort of professional songwriter, a musician. Um, I had a job in a in an outfitter's shop, and I used to get the bus every day, and there was 
It was a fantasy. But the fact was that I used to, you know, the bus was a part of my daily life, getting the bus and going to a bus stop. So, And there was a girl you fancied on the bus? I don't actually think that there was anybody particular or someone that used to be at the bus stop every day. But I thought it was a lovely idea. I think I mentioned this this idea to my dad. And I came home and he'd written the first verse. I saw the verse and I went into my bedroom and I just wrote most of the song because of the meter of the words suggested the melody. So that's the timing of the words. So I just heard... I don't know where it came from. was the second of Graham's songs made famous by the Hollies in 1966. According to Graham Nash, Bus Stop changed his life because it became the group's first American hit. For Graham Goldman, it also had a huge impact. That, for me, was probably the most important song. It was a big breakthrough for them in in America. It was a big hit for me, obviously, as well. And that really sort of consolidated my place, I think, as a kind of go-to songwriter. Stay tuned as Graham Gouldman continues his incredible story. This is A Breath of Fresh Air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Thanks for hanging in. We've just heard about Graham Gouldman's early influences, his gift for songwriting, and how he describes his song Bus Stop, made famous by the Hollies, as one of the most important of his career. That was their big breakthrough. They became massive in America. And then, of course, Graham went on to for further success with uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. I've heard different songwriters say that, that the ideas just drop like manna from heaven sometimes. They, Everyone they, they will say exactly the same thing. It's like sometimes it's like the song is already there, and I call it chasing the song because I'm hearing it and I'm, you know, playing it as it's unravelling itself. I try not to... I don't want to understand it if there's any sort of... Uh, there can't be any science in it. It's something that's going on in your subconscious. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm writing songs now talking to you, but who knows? But the mm-hmm. right, when I sit down, the act of start playing the guitar, it's like, I guess, like putting on a uniform that kind of changes you. Uh-huh. Um, and that's what happens with the guitar. So I'm, I'm kind of just sort of messing around. And then I go, oh, those two chords sound lovely together. And then... A melody forms or that informs a, a mood and an idea. And it comes in all different forms. You know, I mean, for what, what you never know what you're going to write about. So it's like, it's quite exciting to sit down with the guitar and just see, or maybe nothing. And do you get disappointed if nothing happens? No, I don't expect it. Oh. I just think when it happens, I'm happy. And what it is and where it will go, nobody knows. But I mean, I've had, uh, uh, an instance recently of writing a song that I just wrote it because I wanted to write it and it's led on to some really wonderful things. I want to talk to you about all the stuff that you're writing today. We'll certainly build up to that. Okay. 
there's a lovely story around the Herman's Hermit song, No Milk Today, which that wasn't a love story. But uh, your dad was pretty involved in that one too, wasn't he? Very involved, yeah. I mean, his his idea, um, having been to visit one of his friends, he turned on the doorstep and noticed the empty milk bottle and said to me, came back home, said, I've got a great idea for a song, No Milk Today. And I didn't understand what it was going to be about. And I said that wasn't a, such a great idea because like, who cares about the fact that nobody wants any milk that day? And he, he said quite rightly, he said, it's not, it's nothing to do with that. It's what the empty milk bottle symbolises. And it's such a great idea. Yeah, so it, it's clever just man. Brilliant, yeah. No milk today, my love has gone away. The bottle stands forlorn, a symbol of the dawn. No milk today, it seems a common sight. But people passing by don't know the reason why. How could they know just what this message means? The end of my hopes, the end of all my dreams. How could they know the palace that had been behind the door where my love reigned as queen? No milk today, it wasn't always so. The company was gay, we turn iron today. Very close. You and your dad? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. not with us anymore. I'm an only is he? child. I don't know whether that's got something to do with ah, it. Yeah, probably does. He's not still around. Well, I'm today. sure it informs a lot of what I. Well, I think with everybody, it informs how they are and their personality, etc. Yeah, right. Graham, you took yourself off to New York in about 1969. Why did you yeah. head to New York? You were so happy in Manchester. What changed? I was. I was going through a bit of a, not such a creative patch. And I got approached by these two guys from New York, Kaznets and Cats, who were famous for bubblegum music, which was about pretty much opposite of what my I was thinking about doing. But they wanted to get, I think they wanted to kind of up their game a bit and move away from bubblegum. And they were looking for writers who would help them do that. So I went to New York and I didn't like it at all, actually. There was a kind of a, factory mentality i like jerry and jeff very much i thought they were fantastic characters but the music that we were doing wasn't that great and i eventually said well look i, I don't know i'm not going to carry on here but let me take the songs that i've written back home i'm involved in a studio i'm working with some friends in the studio let me go back there and let me record the stuff there and i'll and then i'll send it back to you and that's what i did and that was actually one of the elements that brought 10cc together because the studio was strawberry studio that was a studio that i was a partner in one of the other bands that rehearsed there uh, lol cream was in so then i start writing songs and going to my manager's office to write songs and the other guys were eric stewart kevin godley and lol cream and that's where you met them through the studio i did i'd met them kevin and lol before I'd met them all before, but what I'm saying is us getting together to record those sort of bubblegum-type songs, uh-huh. or not quite bubblegum-type songs, but those songs that were produced with Kaznet's Cats helped bring us together. It was one of the elements that brought us all together. So you're talking about songs that you did for bands like the Ohio Express, songs like yeah. Sausalito? Uh, yeah, under the name. Yeah, they, they were the, the bands all like, didn't exist. They were all such musicians. Round, round, fell out of my boat Swam around, swam around, started to float Floated round, round, came in on the floor There I found, there 
recorded them because we were doing, we were recording lots of stuff that weren't necessarily us, but we thought it was good business for the studio. And the main thing was that we enjoyed doing it, right. even but though it wasn't our sort of music. It was it was vastly different to your sort of music, wasn't it? Yeah, so I know, other- but it was still it was still music. Yeah. And the other guys didn't mind playing that? Was that kind of akin to their style or they were just happy making music? It wasn't nothing to do with anybody's style. It was just to do with us having something to work on, helping the, the studio in a business sense and just, you know, working together. We enjoyed each other's company. So w- when did the four of you decide to form a band, all of your own? In 1970. In 1972, we were we'd done some recordings. Well, we'd done loads of stuff. We'd actually just finished doing an album with uh, Neil Sadaka. We'd started writing and stuff together and recording it when the studio wasn't working. And one of the tracks that we had uh, was going to be released on Apple Records. And we thought we'd better make a B-side. And that B-side was Donna. it we realized we had something special and um that kicked it off so it's really by mistake in a funny sort of way that we we, ne- we never intended to do it necessarily but when we recorded that we thought mm, that's pretty good i mean we obviously wanted to do something but yeah. it was that that was the record which was our first hit single in the uk uh-huh. that kicked it all off where did the name 10cc come from don't you know no i don't you have no so much idea. i don't know Okay. Well, our first, the guy that ran our first record company, Jonathan King, he came up with the name. He said he, the night before he'd been up to see us, he'd had a dream that on the, the Hammersmith Odeon, which is a venue in at the time in, in London, on the hoarding it said 10CC, the best band in the world. This, the, he saw this in his dream. Ah. So, yeah. so you took it from there. And it doesn't mean anything, 10CC, does it? It's not a horsepower thing or anything else. He just had this vision. It was came from a dream. Someone told us later on that the average male ejaculation is 9cc. So <laughs> that's what we used to say was the uh, was the reason for the name because it was kind of funny and um it was quicker to it was a quicker explanation because it got actually got quite boring after a time people asking us where did you get the name from. <laughs> right. So you made up the ejaculation thing. That's not even true, is it? We didn't ma- no, it is true. Is it? <laughs> we were told that, and um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. We were told that, and we adopted it because it was more fun. Yeah, it was. Ten CC was a pretty fun band. You were doing lots of great songs together, all of which you wrote, or most of which you wrote. No, um, it was a very much a um, mixture of writing teams. There were basically two teams, but we did mix it up quite a lot. If you look at the credits, you can see who wrote what. Um, and it worked out really well, very well indeed. Those convicts scream It's a shame we 
The sort of magic of the of the original band was contained in the fact that there were so many different influences. It was a chemical thing, really. There were different influences. The one common influence, though, well, there were a few, but the, the main one was the Beatles, of course. And, and that, that's the thing, really. I know people have manufactured sort of boy band sort of situations very successfully. Actually, with musicians and songwriters... It's a different dynamic. There needs to be a simpatico or even a bit of friction as well just to make it... But whatever it, it is, that is making something that actually works. Most of the big hits, though, you wrote. I co-wrote. Okay. No one wrote... Singularly. ...the songs until the later years that were written by one person. They were all co-writes. Some okay. of them three writers... Okay. And, and what was the process that you adopted when you sat down with others? Because until then you had written, as I understand it, by yourself. It was, yeah, a lot of the time, but I did I did co-writing in the 60s as well. Just the same as any other process. You sit down and you start messing around and something happens all being well. And were there any arguments around that or mostly you were in agreement and, and working with somebody else obviously elicited great stuff. We had a lot of respect for each other. So if someone presented a song, two of us had written a song, we, we played to the other guys and, and the principle was, if you think it's good enough, we'll join you, join in on it and produce it. But we have the right to change things. So they might say, well, this is great, but let's change the rhythm of it. And you go, that's a much better idea. Let's do that. Right. A real collaborative effort. I mean, most of the songs, the 10cc songs, although they have, there are exceptions, would be either Kevin Lowell written or me and Eric written. Of all the songs that you did have a hand in writing, Graham Goodman, is there one in particular that you could point to as your absolute favourite? The fact that they actually get written means that they, they must have something about them to actually get finished. So I don't like saying that the ones... I mean, I can tell you the, most, the ones that are the most fun to play or the the ones that have the most effect on an audience when you play them live in particular. Which I mean, one? like I'm Not In Love is always, you can feel that kind of a intake of breath when it starts. I'm not in love So don't forget it It's just a silly phase I'm going through song and but we had it as kind of like a bossa nova so we recorded it like that and then none of us liked it but this so we actually erased that version of it then i think it was kevin came up with this different rhythm for it because we liked the song we knew there was something going on with the song we recorded it with that rhythm and then with the idea of the both voices and the rest is history so i'm not in love has the most impact on the audience and i would and- say so yeah and you enjoyed Dreadlock Holiday. And Dreadlock Holiday. 
uh, is always a sort of most fun song to play. Want to know why 10cc's Graham Gouldman likes playing Dreadlock Holiday best? Find out in just a sec. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. 10cc's Graham Gouldman has made a lifetime career from writing and recording music, and he says he owes it all to the Beatles. Graham's lost count of the number of songs he's written and won't be drawn into choosing favourites. He does say that he likes playing Dreadlock Holiday Best, a song on which he sang lead. The track gave 10cc the distinction of having three UK number one hits, all with different lead vocalists. Do you know the record? Of course I do. Yeah. Some uh, things I don't know. It's, that a, very, <laughs> it's a very, uh, very upbeat and people like singing the chorus. It's, it, it draws people in. Where's the inspiration from that one come from? It, I, I was on holiday in Jamaica and met a guy and we were talking about sports and I said, what about cricket? We were talking about Manchester United, who I support. Of course. Um Talk about football and then cricket. And I said, what about cricket? Do you like cricket? He said, no, don't like it. I said, oh, I'm surprised. He said, I love it. <laughs> and he gave me the line. Thank <laughs> you. I don't know his name. I own. Uh... <laughs> I wonder if he realises that. You've I, I never spoken know. to him I, since. I haven't received any letters from his lawyers. <laughs> I was walking down the street Concentrating on truck and right I heard a dark voice beside of me And I looked round in a state of fright I saw four faces, one man A brother from the gutter They looked me up and down a bit And turned to each other does anyway your ear is always on the lookout your ear is always on the lookout (laughs) yeah it can be on the lookout um for you know some something hits you and you think "Mm, that's i get a lot of ideas from the things people say a lot of ideas they don't know the same they're saying song titles are the ideas do say song titles yeah right are the ideas still coming as thick and fast as they ever did yeah as much as ever yeah has your songwriting changed yeah, in that, uh, I was saying before, things are a bit more personal now. Right. So I write about things re- that really happen. And that that's really nice. It makes it easier in a way because you've already got the lyric idea. 10CC lasted a good few years and yeah. uh, you disbanded because of the motor accident that Eric was involved in. Is that right? That was the sort of beginning of the end, uh, really. We, we weren't getting on. We did reconvene in the 90s uh, as 10cc but it wasn't it wasn't a happy relationship and both of us wanted to discontinue it but i started the live band which tours now very successfully with um rick fenn who played lead guitar with us uh, when we did the what mark ii uh, band after kevin and godley and Lyle cream left in 1976 yeah. He's with me now, and so is Paul Burgess, who was a drummer with the original 10CC when we went on the road. And you still like being on the road? Yeah, I love it. Do yeah. you? Amazing. Even even though travel's become so much more difficult and... I know everybody says that. It's a bit tiring travelling, but the, play, the easiest part is playing. It's always fun and I enjoy it. And if I didn't enjoy it, I, I don't have to do it. I wouldn't do it. So, But I really love it and it's great. Have you lost count of the number of songs that you've written? I haven't counted them. I don't see any point. I think the the important ones you remember, you know, so maybe there's about, I don't know. I don't see any point in
It's absolutely brilliant. It's called Modesty Forbids. I just like that title. I think it's very quirky. I mean, by saying the fact that Modesty Forbids, you're actually not being very modest, are you? <laughs> you know, like I could be really modest and tell you how amazing I am, but I'm not going to. Just a quirky title. And the cover yeah. of it is a, um, I don't know if you've seen the cover of it. It's it, it's a, a peacock, but with its eyes blacked out, at that, the anonymous peacock. So we know a peacock is very much about flaunting its beautiful feathers. Of course. But it's been blacked out so you can't identify it, which is a great idea. You should check it out. Right. That album came out pre-pandemic. and you It was intended- actually just, yeah, it was actually the month the pandemic started. Great timing. Yeah. And you, yeah, were, great timing. You, were, you were about to hit the road with it then. Have you resumed yes. touring? Yeah, that's why we've had a very, I mean, we did a big UK tour earlier this year, a big city tour, and we're about to start a provincial city tour, 27 dates, I think. And pre-pandemic, you were here in this lovely country of Australia. You've got quite a, a strong affinity with Australia and certainly Australia with you. Are we likely yeah. to see and we're you coming back, back. Yeah, we're going to go back, all being well. And what will we hear from you at that time? All the old stuff as well as the new stuff? You're going to hear some new stuff as well. Uh, there's a song that from the Modesty for Beds album that I wrote about my time with being with Ringo Starr and the All Star Band called Standing Next to Me. We do that. I got a call from Mr. Hart, said, Would you like to be a part of something great? To join a band with Ringo Starr, bring along your bass guitar and don't be late. So, what was there to say? I soon was on my way And on that very night I met the man Who was a major part Was at the very start Of where it all began We talked about our growing up Of getting sick and throwing up The northern girls He told us tales of the fabs the song after touring with uh, Ringo and the All-Star Band in uh, 2018. I did two massive tours with them, one in America, one in Europe, and it was so great to do it. And kind of the whole experience was slightly surreal for me. I bet. Like many other people, being complete Beatles fan and the Beatles, what they represent to me is, I mean, that's why I'm talking to you in a way. I wouldn't be doing what I do. We're also doing a very new song. Um, that I wrote about the James Webb Space Telescope. Do you know about the James Webb Space Telescope? I do. It's a strange subject for a song, that. I know, but I became enchanted by it. And um, I wrote a song about it from the point of view that I'm the telescope. And um, I played it to the guy at my record company, and he said, you should get someone like Brian May to play on it, because 
he's a brilliant guitar guitarist, obviously, and he's also an astronomer and an astrophysicist. And I did, and he does. He plays on it. Wow, it's yeah, very authentic. And it's what I've just been at. Uh, I was in Armenia recently at a thing called the Starmus Festival, which is something that Brian started off with a, a, a an Armenian um, astronomer, an astrophysicist, and. This festival is the sixth one that they've had, and it brings together science and music, and uh, it was fantastic. And we we oh. played the song which is called "Floating in Heaven." We played it together with the with the Armenian operatic orchestra. It was incredible. It's time for me to say goodbye and search for pastures new. Music has changed a lot, hasn't it? it? It must have been such a huge thrill for you to have had the Beatles as your mentors so early in life, and then to be playing yeah. in Ringo's band. I am pretty much everything. You know, without them, there'd have been no Ten CC. I'm sure. I mean, we'll never know, but they were just too important. They were important to forming a lot of bands, weren't they? Was it all about the time? when they came along or was it that they were so revolutionary in what they were doing or a combination of both? I could talk to you I could talk to you all day about it you know I we, played yeah. with Ringo you know it's it's too big <laughs> that's true so is there anything still on your bucket list Graham Goldman or have you achieved everything you set out to no I'll never achieve everything I it's not that I want to achieve anything I, I just want to I want to keep doing what I'm doing I, I as I say like as far as doing live work's concerned, I, I'll never stop. I'll be stopped. Um, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do it. But um, if some other force <laughs> comes into play, then I can't do anything about that. And also, I mean, so my sort of philosophy is like I've been asked to write a book. Like I've been asked a few times to write a book. But I, do you know what? It means like going backwards, and I don't really want to do that. I've got. Actually, my story is quite well documented anyway through the, I don't know how many interviews I've ever done or stuff that's been written about me. You, you know, someone could put a book together quite easily. Uh, I wouldn't want to talk about things that would make anybody uncomfortable or no one's going to write a book with, you know, a tell-all. I certainly wouldn't do that. And I'm just not that interested. I'm more interested in what I'm going to do today and tomorrow rather than, you know, yesterday. Right. And you're still living in Manchester? You're still just as in love with no, Manchester? No, no. I still love Manchester. I, mean, I, I wrote a song about Manchester called uh, Memory Lane, which is on an album called Love and Work that I put out in 2012. But uh, no, I've lived in London since the mid-80s. I took a little trip down Memory Lane to visit my old neighborhood again Everything I saw And everything I touched Reminded me of what I love so much The pavement felt so good Beneath my feet The memories I have Oh, so sweet But what is past is past And what is done is done The future's now with you My life's begun I wanted to show you where I'd made my mark I moved here because I was spending more and more time here my children were getting older and were more, in, you know, independent, and I felt it was the right time. I ask all my artists that have children, are yours really proud of you? Are they proud of me? Uh, I hope so, yes. I think they are, and I'm proud of them. 
Graham Goodman, an absolute pleasure to chat with you. That's fine. No problem. Nice Thank speaking you. to you. Bye-bye. I hope you've enjoyed hearing from Graham Goldman. Let me know if there's someone special you'd like me to chase up for you. Just send me a message through the website abreathoffreshair.com.au. Take care of yourself, won't you, until we meet again. I'll look forward to being back in your company same time next week. Bye now. Because it's a beautiful day mm-hmm. You've been listening to A Breath of Fresh Air with Sandy Kay. Beautiful day. You're gone away It's a beautiful day